and welcome to episode 51 of Prognotes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And we are listening to Metropolis Part 2 Scenes from a Memory by Dream Theater. If this is your first time listening to our show, welcome. We like to talk about progressive rock music, a fun, exciting subgenre of rock music. In each episode, we dedicate our time to talk about these albums from all over the world. And if you aren't familiar with us or Maybe you just haven't checked us out extensively. We also have a lot of other fun things going on, like our other podcast called Spotlight. Uh, We have a Discord server, a Patreon if you'd like to support us. You can find all of this at linktree.com slash prognotes. Linktree.com slash prognotes. Lastly, we always want to say thank you to our patrons for helping us continue to create these episodes. Special shout out to one of our patrons, The Stalk for one, recommending this album, but also thank you for supporting the show for so long. And be sure that you stick around till the end of the episode to know which album we will be listening to next. Scenes from a Memory is the fifth studio album by the American forefathers of prog metal, Dream Theater. This record was released October 26th, 1999 through Electra Records. The album was recorded at Bear Tracks Studios, Drew, which is actually uh, where the band recorded uh, their second album, Images and Words. It's the same studio. I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't I that crazy? That they were with another record label at the time. Interesting. I, okay. Yeah, but I think they record. Uh, yeah, same studio though. Um, oh, okay. It's also the the same studio that they recorded uh, a change in seasons. Um, and so think yeah, it was recorded. They've recorded multiple records at at Bear Tracks Studios. Um, which which is interesting because this is that's. Images and Words is what contains Metropolis Part 1. So Metropolis Part 1 and all of Metropolis Part 2 was recorded at the same studio. Yes. Kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of cool. So, And speaking of Images and Words, we covered that episode, or covered that album on episode 26 of Prognotes. Uh, we had a good time. Uh, check it out. <laughs> Members of Dream Theater and featured on this record, uh, do they need an introduction? But whatever. Uh, James Labrie's vocals. Uh, John Petrucci on guitars, John Myung on bass, uh, Mike Portnoy as the professional long-distance sprinter, and the and Jordan Rudess on keyboards. <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Uh, I did. Did yeah, you like that? I uh, did. Fun, fun fact: Terry Brown is the voice of the therapist on this on this record. Oh, uh, wow! Wow! Yeah, Terry Brown, uh, of course, uh, pr- a producer, record uh, record producer, and engineer for uh, albums like. Basically everything up until Signals that Rush did. He, he yes. produced everything up till, uh, till yeah, that was the last one he did. No, the he last did, one he did was Signals. Was signals, yeah. They, they yeah. switched on Grace Under Pressure to Peter Collins, right? Yes. Peter Collins, yeah. Um, anyway, but he's the voice of the therapist on this record, and we all know that Dream Theater are massive Rush fans, so I figured they were probably pretty, uh, that must have been fun. That must have been really fun. Um, this is Jordan's first Dream Theater album he is featured on after the band fired Jarek, Derek uh, Sherinian. And uh, and there's a story here. So Mike Portnoy, John Petrucci, and Jordan Rudess are all members of Liquid Tension Experiment. Uh, they released LTE2 on June 15th, 1999, so just a couple of months before this record was released. And Mike and John felt that they had better just musical chemistry with Jordan. Uh, His face was also not unfamiliar either, as Jordan had already done a few gigs with Dream Theater back in 1994 during the Awake Tour. I think they probably just felt that Jordan was a better fit for the band at the time. Um, Side note, though, if you are an LTE fan, which I know a lot of Dream Theater fans are, if you are an LTE fan, we interviewed the fourth member 
of Liquid Tension Experiment 2011 back on episode 35 when they just released LTE3. So uh, you should check that out. It's a lot of fun. So Drew, um, amongst Dream Theater fans, I mean, this one's like their most, probably, I can't say their most, but probably one of their most beloved. And uh, it's also their first concept album. So what do people have to say about that? What's what's going yeah. on in the world of the reviews? Go with the raw numbers at first. Yeah, um, some numbers. I want the numbers! You know, Josh, everybody else is having fun with this. You're the only one who's having fun with this. Nobody else is having fun with this. Number 73 on the U.S. Billboard 200. Number two on the U.S. Top Internet Albums. Number 131 in the U.K. Albums. Number 44 in Switzerland. 44 in Sweden. 40 in France. 28 in the Netherlands. 28 in Norway. 13 in Hungary. 8 in Germany. 6 in Finland. In 2015, the Prague Report ranked it number three in the top 50 modern Prague albums from 1990 to 2015. Loudwire named it at number 14 in their list of top 25 progressive metal albums of all time. In 2012, the readers of Rolling Stones, sorry, of Rolling Stone, voted the album into the number one position of their Your Favorite Prague Rock Albums of All Time poll. Scenes from a Memory is currently number 29 on the Rolling Stones list of 50 greatest prog rock albums of all time. So definitely a, a very highly regarded album in their catalog, like you said. But, you know, I think it's kind of a toss-up for a lot of people between this one and uh, Images and Words, which was their second yeah, album. I was going to so, ask if you had any info on, and maybe we'd have to go back and look at the show notes or something like that of Images and Words, but did this one rank higher than images and words like in terms of like the critics and reviews do people consider this to be the better record or images and words or is there another I record have to check the show okay. notes i actually okay. don't remember i don't remember either but i just don't I, I don't think that images and words did this well though if i'm not mistaken well i also don't know because i think i don't know so I think a lot of people consider like Images and Words their signature sound and there are tracks on there like Metropolis Part 1 that people love. However, you've also got on this record Dance of Eternity, which people, that's a, like one of their most popular tracks. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know. I think it's kind of a toss up. In general, I'm, obviously I'm sure other Dream Theater fans have maybe their own personal favorite that's not either of these. But um Anyways, uh, I also didn't have uh, access to Prague archives when I was doing my research. Their website was down. The website was down. Yep. I. Uh, yep. Anyways, I'm sorry, guys. I'm so yep. sorry. Um, the Bible of Prague rock music was that's down right. for the day. That's right. What a shame. Shed yeah. a tear. <laughs> um, that's a shame. Pop Matters gave this a glowing review. Writer Jordan Blum claims, Few would disagree that the quintet's fifth full-length Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory, commonly referred to as Spam, is their best. Whoa. Well, that's so aggressive. That was pretty aggressive. Is it Spam or S-Fam? It's probably S-Fam, but I, I feel like, like to I, say I feel like, but we're millennials, though, so I feel like we have to say S-Fam. No, 100%. It probably should be S-Fam, but I just really like this Spam. Spam. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, kind of It's kind of, kind of, a, a, it's kind of a, a joke a, going on on the thing. Discord channel. They're just dropping spams all over the place. They're just spam- they really? they're spamming me. Yeah. Oof. They're spamming yeah. you. They're spamming Oof. me everywhere. That's rough. I know, man. They so, shouldn't anyway. just be spamming like Thanks for, liberally, you know? Yeah. You know what? I, no. I just I just realized something. <laughs> I just realized this, that this is the first time 
that and honestly because of the schedules and everything that we have going on like we really only get to talk like once a month like oh yeah like this we don't talk yes. on the phone no like, that's not, not something that we normally no, do we really don't and so like this you, is the one you... time a month so we get one time a month where we actually have like conversation and here we are yeah, and now the fans are having to like suffer because it's just uh, yeah, so unstructured. Just, yeah, absolutely. We're having yeah, to catch this is just up us. a little bit. Yeah. Okay, you interrupted the quote. Um, uh, many would agree that this is their best. Uh, few would disagree. Released in the fall of 1999, the concept album erupts with a level of songwriting, instrumentation, creativity, quirkiness, cohesion, and storytelling unmatched by anything else they've ever done. Not only is it Dream Theater's truest masterpiece, but it's arguably the greatest progressive metal work of all time. So that was from a, a review from Pop Matters, which I think was written back in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. So this is, you know, a, a while after it had come out. Yeah, um, this is also that. before Porcupine Tree started taking their music towards the metal stage because In Absentia came out in 2002. That's true. And That's so true. I can see that because, uh, you know, I mean, you know my personal bias. I tend to lean more towards Porcupine Tree in the terms of like the prog metal world and stuff like that. Sure. But, uh, but I could certainly see how this was kind of like the, the crown jewel of right. uh, prog metal in, in the 90s. Uh, I know we're sure. 99, but still. It's not as good as Blackwater Park in my opinion, but you know, anyway. Anyways, all right. Um, we, <laughs> oh. Um, anyway. Wicket 02 on Metal Archives gave it a 71% and had some pretty negative things to say about it. 71%. Uh, I know. So, yeah, I always like to pepper this with a little bit of the other side of the coin. I will go back to, I'm going to do the, <laughs> what do they say? The compliment sandwich. <laughs> I'm going to say something positive, something negative, and something positive to finish it out. You're going to pepper it with a salty comment? Absolutely. Here's a little pepper, a little spice here. A little bit of a contrarian view here. pepper it with a... Over... All right, we have to stop. Yeah, here we go. Overall, this is what he had to say with the 71%. Overall, Labrie picked a bad time to try to take the spotlight this time because it's always going to go to Petrucci, Rudess, and the rest of the band. Um, interesting take since... I, I don't think that Labrie particularly overshadows the rest of the group here. No, um, I was about to say I disagree with that because I don't I don't think he's trying. No, to over, but I think he has to he has to match the level of energy that the other that the other groups or not the other groups the other band members. I mean they they are they are high octane guys yes. all yeah. the time, and so you don't yeah. want to have some depressed dude up there on the stage. Like he's gotta he's gotta get it. He's got to right. go up there and, and go for it. So, so, so yeah, I don't agree with that. There's another there's another review on All Music. They gave it a four out of five, written by Stephen Thomas Erlewine. I'm totally botching that pronunciation, I'm sure. Oh, wow. He says, at times, the, oof, at times <laughs> that means the album can bog down slightly on its own flight of fancy and long instrumental sections, but concentrated listens reveal the intricacies of the song structures and the musicianship. Occasionally... It can seem as if James Labrie oversings, but that's a minor point. The overall end result of the album is quite impressive indeed. So I think some people thought that he oversang or that he was maybe too theatric or charismatic or was trying too hard to over to to match them. Like you could just sense that effort. Uh, that, that that's that's of, like I, I don't agree with that, it. I'm just, just trying to voice. get around. That's what they his said. voice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like when you yeah. when you're getting up in those registers, 
Well, and maybe maybe they thought he was being trying to be too charismatic, right, with some of the characters that he was portraying. The, the name concept. of the band is Dream Theater. I see. <laughs> you, have to, you have to expect going in. Yes. No, I'm totally on the same page. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Um, oh, totally. But no, I totally agree. Okay, now this was another glowing review, also from All Music. It was not the official one. It was from a user on there. By the way, All Music gave it a practically like a five out of five from an aggregate score of the users and their ratings. Um, and that was from like close to close to 1,200, 1,159 users. Anyways, John Smith could easily be a pseudonym. Um, <laughs> John Smith. <laughs> gave it a 4.5 out of five. And we'll go into some of the context he mentions here a little bit more later on. Falling into Infinity, their previous record, proved too basic for fans to handle, and Derek Sherinian was fired and replaced by Jordan Rudess, whose presence gave Dream Theater a drastic change of sound. The band returns to good, old-fashioned prog, but they really went overboard with the progressive tendencies to compensate for the simplicity of Falling into Infinity, a twisted concept album about its... Sorry, about a, a sordid romance, regression therapy, and a dose of murder, the band's ambitions are greatly realized on these songs, which are supposed to form an hour-long sequel to Images and Words, Metropolis Part 1. However, unlike even Images and Words, the emphasis is on playing progressive rock and not heavy metal like before. Sure, songs like Fatal Tragedy and Finally Free have heavy moments, but the album is padded out with either mellow, Broadway-like tunes like Through Her Eyes and One Last Time, or technical circus freakouts like Beyond This Life. I do agree with kind of the progressive nature as they were moving towards, more towards that, because I always find yes. like the four tenets of Dream Theater's music usually lies in like the metal side of things, yes. the progressive rock side of things, the melodic side of things, and then the kind of the pop sort of thing, because they have some like pop ballads and stuff like that. With some of their hooks and that kind of thing. Um, so like, but this one definitely leans heavier into the, the prog rock. Yeah, I think I agree. And, and, and I have to say that's the end of my review section and I'll just go straight into, I mean, it's no surprise. I don't really do the metal thing as often. I don't hate it. And actually yeah. since doing this show, I've come to appreciate it a lot more. So there you go. Thanks. There you go. For, for, for uh, changing my mind. Um, I like prog metal more than I used to. I will say, however, though, it's no surprise that my natural affinity is towards kind of the early prog pioneers. And like this, th this record, I think, reflects those musical stylings a bit more than images and words. So I much, much prefer this record than images and words. Yeah. I just, if someone wanted to turn me on to Dream Theater, they should have started with this record rather than images and words. Also, yeah. images and words just sounds terrible yeah it sounds like garbage mixing. the drums Sorry. i can't do i'm, I'm not gonna, even gonna go apologize my for here. that because i know the band doesn't doesn't like it either they I didn't know. like the sound i don't i know but i just i don't know any i'm going on my rant here you're gonna have to stop All me right, i'm turning I'll, into the hulk okay but this i'm turning into the hulk i can't he's getting green i can't do it i can't do images and words and it's not that the compositions are particularly bad there's some really cool fun stuff in a lot of that instrumentation and the way they compose some of those songs but oh my word oh my word when i hear the drums 
Yeah. And nothing, I've never, here's why it freaks me out. No other record I have ever heard in my life gives me such a visceral reaction to how a particular instrument is mixed. Like I might have (laughs) qualms with it here and there, like a a different record. Like, oh, I don't really like how this sounds on here or it's just kind of cheesy or whatever, but that's just a minor complaint because I don't really focus on that part of the music that, that much as opposed to like lyrics, as opposed to the overall compositions or whatever. No, the drums on images and words are distracting. They're so bad, bad, guys. It's pretty bad. And everyone else is probably going to have their own take. Obviously, everything's subjective. And people are, I don't know. I don't think it's that bad. Okay. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. The band thought it was It is distracting. So I'm I'm, I'm okay with my, and I think I even realized that after we did that episode. By the way, go check it out if you want to hear more of Drew going off on his his rocker. Oh, my word. Um. (laughs) Anyways, all that to say, the drums are so much better on this record. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing sounds so much better. Uh, Way Mm -hmm. better production. But fun fact, too, that they actually, uh, for this record, they didn't have an outside producer. Um, I think it was actually the first one that they didn't have an outside producer step in. Um. Yeah, hmm. I, I'm trying to figure what do you out. Mean? Like they produced, they produced it, themselves? it themselves. Yeah, if you oh, look, okay, at the, if right. you look at the credits, the the credits of this sure. album in terms of the producer is John Petrucci, Mike Portnoy. Those are the two credited okay. producers on this record. So, um, which is yeah, and I'm pretty sure that was the first time that that happened because they were, uh, when they took stuff well i'm getting into kind of some of the history of it but yeah when when they took stuff from like uh the demos that they did during the falling into infinity sessions yes uh i think they were kind of real they were like ah let's let's do this and credit yeah credit where credit is due Uh these guys all of them and and particularly the original members are just monster musicians yeah and i know i credited that on images and words as well but like just going more into this not only from like what they wrote in and of itself which is very impressive whether whether you're a big fan of them or not their music is technically very complicated but but a lot of but it works like like it's there are some bands who are very complicated technically but like like melodically it just doesn't work like you've yep. got some fun math stuff but it just doesn't seem cohesive yeah no they're Check pretty impressive with the, the quality exactly they're pretty impressive with the quality of what they write for the most part and then on top of that the main thing i wanted to get to was just the sheer volume of how much they wrote i'm looking through the history of like all of this stuff and they were constantly writing and if they weren't writing for dream theater they were doing stuff with other bands like you mentioned liquid tension experiment mm-hmm. like i think these guys just live and breathe music, which is just pretty crazy to me. Just how how ensconced they were, like at all hours of the day, pretty much. Yeah. Like if they weren't doing Dream Theater, which is already a lot of writing and already a lot of that, they were doing other projects. It's just crazy to me. I, yep. I see some of the stuff that Mike Portnoy did and other stuff Petrucci did, and like yeah, they're everywhere. Mike nuts. Portnoy is in like five bands. I mean, yeah. it's 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 nuts. But. Yeah. Yeah, they got a lot of they got a lot of different types of music. Speaking of the music, though, I think one of the things that we first realized and first noticed, and we were talking about this uh, in our chats throughout the um, throughout the time that we've been researching, is that we just heard a lot of like pioneer references, not pioneer references, yes. but almost kind of like influences. Yes, in in some of the music, and so I was asking you, I was like, does this sound like the Wall to you? Yes. And I remember like texting back in all caps. I was like, like oh my yes. gosh, get out of my head. Yes. yes. Yeah. So like there's uh, hearing a lot of like wall influences. I was hearing, of course, they, you know, like scene five, 
they have like the female vocalists sort of vocalizing. Yes. So it's kind of like uh, gray, gig gray gig in the, gig sky, in the sky, sky kind of stuff, sure. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. scene six, uh, kind of starts with some of the, the Indian stuff. I was like, Oh, revolver. Hello. Like, yeah, no, you know, totally. Yeah. Like some of that, some of that stuff. And I, and I know like, of course, now I, you know, my context is, is that whenever I hear stuff that is very Indian styling, I automatically think of the Beatles because that's just right. what, what they obviously it's not new and the Beatles didn't create that and do that first, whatever. But, um, you know, scene six, yeah, revolver vibes and stuff like that. Also, some pretty sus noises going on in some of the in that track. Anyway, I'm going to move on that uh, scene eight. Uh, I was hearing like like. Yeah, like total Pink Floyd vibes, and even scene one, like regression, sounds like Pigs on the Wing to me. Just the acoustic yeah. thing, and also the way that like uh, James Labrie sang in certain moments sounded like Roger Waters. Like it kind of sounded a little manic in a, in a way. Like he was trying to get into like maybe some of the throaty area in here, and like trying to make it sound sort of strange. Sure. I don't know. Um, I was also hearing in scene four. Uh, I wrote down a, a note here that, uh, and it was interesting because it came out the same year, but I was hearing something that sounded a lot like Muse. Random. Okay, interesting. Very random. Yeah, Muse they, had- They came after Dream Theater. Well, at uh, the same time. Well, not the same time. Dream Theater obviously started first. Uh, Muse's first album was in 1999, which was Showbiz. And on that record, uh, I was hearing some things, or I, I heard some things in Beyond This Life and Scene 4 that sounded very similar to some things that were on Muse's showbiz. And so, uh, huh. yeah, uh, uh, I don't have particular moments that I could that I could look at. Um, actually, uh, never mind, I wrote it down. Uh, four minutes and 56 seconds into the song. Um, and so I also hear uh, some origins of Deer Hunter. I don't know. I was like, well, that sounds a lot like uh, Deer Hunter. And so, you know, overall, I think for me, (laughs) this is what it came down. I think I may even told you this as well. My main comment about this record musically is that it sounds so familiar. And that is probably the best compliment that I can give the band because I know that their influence is permeated the prog metal world at such a high level. And I've heard a lot of like modern prog. I've heard of all of uh, Dream Theater's discography, but I haven't like delved into it at like a a big time level. But I've heard a lot of like modern prog stuff like Caligula's Horse and Vola and some other stuff that we've done on the show here, but also some stuff outside of that, like Ariat, stuff like that. And um, I'm like, yeah, I could see how it all kind of comes, not all of it, but a lot of it comes right back to Dream Theater. Like they influenced so many people. Yeah. What you, you were talking about connections to other like prog rock uh, works, and I, I just have to say the the ending of the spirit carries on is eerily similar to Eclipse. To Eclipse, hundred eerily similar to the dark side, the dark side of the moon by Pink Floyd. The last song on there is Eclipse, and just like like even the woman belting out mm-hmm. in the background, you know, and like even the three four time signature. Uh, and just the vocal melody, even that, just, and now that I'm here, it's perfectly clear. And it reminds me so much of like, all that you touch and all that you... I'm telling you, like the way that that he delivers is, is, even though I don't think that's Waters singing that on Eclipse, is it? It's, no, it's not. Um, it's not. Um, 
but it, it's this big crescendo kind of near the end of the album, maybe not the very end of, of Spam, but it's close to the end. And I, I think I'm going to really piss a lot of people off by doing that. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm just going to increase also, the volume of that in post. Just I'm really, please really do. loud every time Please do. <laughs> Actually, yes, overdo it so that it does the big like audio spike. Like it starts clipping. <laughs> it starts clipping. Just like, a, like a really bad video game microphone. Yes. Like when you're playing online with somebody and they yeah. scream. Or one of those like really low budget cable networks. That's oh, like totally. Grind- <laughs> Walmart internet connection. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm also reminded of an, another Pink Floyd uh, moment. Like you said, outside the the wall, the very end of, of outside the, the wall, the end of the wall, um, the last track on Finally Free, when the character Nicholas is listening to that record in his apartment when he turns on the vinyl and it kind of has those like enormous, well, actually even before that, it kind of r- reminds me of the end of the trial right before yes. Outside the Wall. That, that enormous ominous riff, boom. Bow, 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 that, that from Dream Theater sounds a lot to me like kind of this big kind of marching, almost tear down the wall type of feeling. Totally. Um, and th- But anyways, as I was saying, the, the record he turns on later kind of has these like, these sad, you know, almost reverential sounding horns playing softly, mm-hmm. a horn section playing softly in the background that's very soft. That reminds me of kind of that that feeling of like the clarinets and stuff in in outside mm. the wall. Right? Oh yeah, right. Yeah. All around ones that really love you. Like the 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 horns in the background of Roger Waters singing that in the wall sounds a lot to me like what he pl- what Nicholas's character in Slam is is playing on his on his record player. By the way, also very quickly on the topic of of finally free. You okay, you know, you know that they left that record scratching just long enough so that they could make they could reach the 12 minute mark. Oh, 100%. That because there's no reason for it, it to was last like 30 that seconds. long. It's like 35 it's seconds. It's 30 solid seconds. Yeah. And yeah. you know that they did that just to hit 12 minutes. And I can't complain because I can't shout any any criticism no, on that because we, we did that on we our record. I, I wanted to hit the ten minute mark, so we stretch it out a section just to be like, yeah. Add another bar of that. Digit. Yeah, we we hit the double digits. Anyways, I just thought that was funny. Okay, connections to to Prague, other Prague bands. But you know, sorry, I'm I I don't have any more connections. But I, I have to say, just piggybacking off of what you had mentioned earlier. That the, the, your compliment of them, you know, kind of signaling to, to their influences of early prog rock bands like yes. King Crimson and yeah. Rush, in particular Rush. Yes, I, I have to say, I really, really applaud them because while I love the influences, it's easy to 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 become for a bit for any band to become a copycat, and you don't want to be that. And they aren't. I don't on this record. I hear the influences very clearly. But there's also a lot of differences, and like Dream Theater sounds like Dream Theater. They don't sound like just a Rush copycat. They don't sound like a King Crimson or a Yes copycat. Like you hear those influences very clearly, but then you're also like, okay, those groups never did the kind of massive, high octane, incredible amount of distortion, and also like, you know, Ingve style guitar playing with the crazy amounts of notes packed in that Petrucci did, or the double kicks to the extent that Portnoy was doing. By the way, are much more tasteful on this record than they are in Images and Words, just saying. Um, He's sprinting, (laughs) though. He ran a whole 5K on this album. 
dude, but it's but you know what? It didn't bother me like it did on MSG. No, yeah. Um, I think it was much more tasteful. The yeah. compositions were just so much more um, realized. They they yeah. were just like restrained in the best possible way. They knew when to ease off the pedal and when not to, and when to go full throttle. Anyways, that's that's a. There's much more I could say about that. Anyways, um, but yes, like they still retain their identity while still kind of signaling again to to their their inspiration. So I, high praise in that regard. And this record again can't say it enough leaps and bounds much more pleasant to me than yep than images and words but yep. that's just me okay yep. definitely no uh labris supercut for, for no this, for this album. no some people yeah. were asking me in the in the discord <laughs> i was they were curious like, if you had made one no 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 they they were saying there was like the i feel like cut. i would i would have overdone it on that one uh if you're not familiar with the labris supercut it's uh just check out images and words the episode of images our, and words um even if you are a dream theater fan it's I, it's pretty funny. It, it Did you? Be. But uh, yeah. From a history perspective. Sure. Kind of going, just diving into that. Did you hear any of Falling Into Infinity? The, the record directly preceding this one, 1997. I have heard it, but I did not listen to it in preparation of this. I didn't see any t- connections or any reasons for me to listen to it before okay. coming in. Yeah. I heard it. Just to hear what people were saying about it being too basic and too mainstream. Come on, this affects all of us, man. Their basic freedom. I didn't hear the whole thing end to end. I did not have time, but I did listen to a couple of tracks, and I, I know what they're talking about. So, a little context on the history of this record. Here we go. Um, they were pressured your, from the record Jason from Home Movies. What was that? This was, that was definitely some some John some Benjamin rendering of that. Yeah, rendering of that. Anyways, they were pressured from the record label. Um. East West, which they had signed a deal with them for seven records, I think. I think it was a seven album deal. It was with Atco, which then became East West. So they they had their their connection there. The person, their 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 the person that they had that they were kind of in with got fired. So the person who kind of was advocating for their creativity and their creative integrity. Had gotten fired. I don't know why. Okay, but he was gone. So now they were dealing with new management or management they hadn't dealt with before for falling that, in into infinity. Correct. Got it. For falling into infinity, and that's why they were pressured to write a more commercial sounding album. So okay, this makes so much sense because right because and you probably already know this. The when I was doing research for this, I found out that the record label decided to give the band more freedom for this record. And I was like, what? But yeah, so that was one of the things that really confused me because yes. I wrote that down and I was like, the record label decided to give the band more freedom for this record. More freedom. What? So this That's, reminds that doesn't me happen. similar of like just the struggle that Rush went into with, with their record label in t- with 2112 because the last one didn't perform well. And with this, I think it's almost like... The opposite, though, like the cause was the opposite. For Rush, it was like you're going too progressive. We need you to be mainstream. With this, it was like no one liked falling into it. That's not true. Not not no one, but in general, both critics and fans were like, "This isn't this isn't you. Like this isn't Dream Theater. This is very different from images and words." Anyways, I'll, I'll read a, a, a quote. So, unsurprisingly, it was kind of a flop. But I just think it's funny because 
again, it was like, now we have more creative freedom, not like rush where they were like, screw you. We're, we're digging deeper into the, yeah. the Prague thing. In Go a do sense it. Of, you know, uh, before we were, we had already been Prague sound. This one was like, no, no, no. We've done the mainstream thing. And we found that formula didn't work. So let us do what we do best. And anyways, sorry. Uh, I'll read a quick quote here. Um, it received a mixed reception from fans who were more familiar with the band's earlier sound. And while the album was moderately progressive sounding-ish, tracks such as Hollow Years and You Not Me prompted some to believe it was the dawn of a new mainstream sounding dream theater. Overall, the album was both a critical and commercial disappointment. Now here's where it gets interesting. Although Portnoy did not speak out publicly at the time, he later revealed in a 2004 DVD commentary for five years in a lifetime, that's funny, lifetime, okay, that he had been so discouraged during this period that he had considered disbanding Dream Theater altogether. He was like, this is it, guys. Wow. Like, if we can't, if we can't do our thing, if this is how the record labels are going to be and we're locked into this, I, like, I don't want to do, I will do other projects. This is not what I'm about. That's what I got from that. Anyways, so wow. when they wrote, like you said, when they wrote their next record, which is this this one, I am. Um, the, with the, you know, they he he demanded. I think I read somewhere that he said this is the ultimatum. Like, we're going into our original studio, right? That's where they decided to do yep, it. Yep, yep. From Revenge's and Words, where we felt like we were a dream theater, uh, and we're not like we are going to write what we're going to write, and I think that. Um, that gave them the freedom to yeah. to do that. Anyways, very interesting. interesting to me. Yeah, that is interesting because I know that you know the instrumental demos that they did during the recording sessions of Falling into Infinity. Like a lot of that stuff yes. got reworked into stuff like Strange Deja yes. Vu and Overture 1928, Dance of Eternity, One Last Time. Now, and so, do you know the history behind Metropolis Part One and Metropolis Part Two? Well, I do know that Metropolis Part 1 was kind of like a gimmick. There, there was no intentions yes. of them writing a Metropolis Part 2. I think they added it as Part yes. 1 as like a deal. And so, or I don't, I think they, yeah, we're just kind of like, oh, let's just, let's just do that. I think that. it was a joke. Yeah, I sincerely it, think it was just like it it sort of been. like this goofy thing that I think I read somewhere that Petrucci was just kind of like, huh. Like, and he's the one who put Part 1 in there. Just like, wouldn't it be funny if this was like Part 1 of something? Like, yeah. And they just It's not never, really, but like, let's just put that title on it. Yeah, and that really psyched people out to the point yeah. where like people wanted it. part two. Went part two. You like prog rock and you like Rush, and there's like storytelling in their stuff. So like, where's the next part of the story? Yeah, and so they were like, okay, we'll do that. Like, but that was not an original intent. I, I find it interesting that, well, for one, putting part one at the very beginning of why that's that's hilarious. But secondly, could you imagine put yourself put yourself back in, in you know? in the or in the late 90s here they released this you're a massive fan of metropolis part one images of words comes out you're like oh i'm a fan i'm a fan of dream theater this is great totally. part one <laughs> yeah. and you're like and you're looking forward to part two you're like what's part two like when is that going to sure. come out metropolis part one is just a song right right and then a couple of years later in fact five yeah. years later they drop an entire record it's a whole called metropolis yes. part two yeah. could you imagine yeah. how stoked you would be, be you i would be, be like exactly. bro Let's no, go. That's amazing. And so yeah. also, also too, and, and I don't know if you remember this, in Metropolis Part 1, James sings in the lyrics, scenes from a memory. No, he does. He does. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you're, okay, we're about to go into 
the concept, right? Here's We're about to go into the story. Yeah, we right? need to do that. We need to do so that. This we have a lot of stuff we're going to talk about. We have a lot of stuff about the story and the concept. It's going to be fun. We'll, we'll talk about it. Don't tell me what is and isn't fun, Dustin. I will. All right? And don't tell the fans what is and isn't fun. Have a good all day. Right. Don't tell me what so, to do. <laughs> yeah. So I have to say, though, it's a bit of a letdown if you're like kind of a nerdy person who's wanting there to be this really interesting lore and connection between part one and part two, because there really isn't. Yes, he sings scenes from a memory in part one. And yes, he even says at the end, dance of eternity. And there's a track called dance of eternity on part two. There are those small connections, but that's like it. There are a small handful of lyrics that they just kind of reference that don't actually have any substance to them in the story of Metropolis Part 2. There really isn't. So it's kind of like, it's a bit of a letdown if you're like, oh, like this character in Part 1 reappears in this. And I think there have been some fan theories out there. Like they have been like, oh, the Miracle and the Sleeper, right? Metropolis Part 1, the Miracle and the Sleeper. Well, that's these two characters in Metropolis Part 2. I don't think the band has ever confirmed that. And I think for fun, you can do that if you want. But you're kind of reaching, I, I think. If, if you like, go online, though, and look at like something like Genius.com, if you're looking at the lyrics, they state sure. that this is this character saying these sets of lyrics. And I don't do have, they? Yeah, yeah. And, and, which like, I'm like. In Metropolis it, Part 1? No, not Metropolis Part One and Metropolis Part Two. On this record, they do. Oh yeah. When I was no, looking at the saying, lyrics online, I did not look at it for Metropolis Part One to see if I'm just was saying, like, like the connection between sure. Part One and Part Two, right, right, is fairly minimalistic, I guess. Like yeah. it's or not minimalistic, minimal. Like there's just, anyways, there's. If you're going in expecting like, oh, like if you haven't heard this record before, and you're like, oh, what's the connection between Part One and Part Two? It's kind of like the the funny joke, inside joke of like, hey, this wasn't meant to be a, a multi-part thing. And then we made like this small epic during the sessions of, you know, uh, Falling Into Infinity that was like 20 minutes. And it eventually developed into an entire record. But that's, that's like it. Like the yeah. part two was requested by – and that's the other thing. That's the other thing. This part two – I think was requested by fans because they loved that track so oh, much. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, people worked. were raving. And so they said, it. hey, please make a part two because you've mentioned part one. And if it's anything like part one, we're going to love it because we love that. That's an amazing track. We love it. So anyways, it, yeah. thematically, if you're expecting uh, a connection between the two, there's very little. Now now you know. Now we'll go into the actual story. That the actual story. Yeah. Um, I, I do, two, I do need to state that – uh, the liner notes denote who is speaking, um, such as Miracle, Sleeper, Nicholas, Victoria, and some additional notation to show whether a passage is taking place in the pa- in the past or present. Um, mm. And so uh, I don't have those on me because I don't own the the liner notes. I don't have it on, on vinyl or have the CD. Um, but... I also should say as well that the music for this record was written before the lyrics were. And so I do have right. a little bit of a rub with that. I have a little bit of a rub with that because there are certain pot, uh, portions of the plot that, you know, when I think of concept, I think of it's kind of like a soundtrack of a movie. You know, you want the movie to fit the scene. You want the movie to fit the the tension of the scene or the, the emotions that the characters are feeling. And, and the first thing, that I, I do have as 
partial, not necessarily criticism. It's it's more so of a of a preference, but. Something that I really love that somebody who who I who has done successful concept albums in the past, somebody like Peter Gabriel and somebody like Roger Waters, who have done successful concept albums in the past, they morph their voice, they change sort of whether it's on stage, they change their persona or the way that yes. they're singing in certain ways, so you can kind of denote whether who is talking or what character is speaking. James Labrie doesn't really do that in here. At certain yeah. areas they have a certain they have another they have a female voice that comes True. on the record. And so one of the things that just bothered me a little bit I was I was like the only way I'm going to ever figure this out is if I go and read this thing. Now yes, that's that's fine. I, that's fine with that. But I guess for my personal preference, I would have I would have liked to see him do a little bit more like maybe include some differences in his voice just to denote like, hey, this is a different character or a different person speaking because apparently they're flipping between the past and the present. They're flipping between this and here. They're going back and forth to, you know, whatever is happening here. It's it's like Pulp Fiction. You just have no idea. Like we're just going everywhere. It's kind of, it's, it's yeah, it's the, the story is not clear cut here. Which it's is totally very non-linear. In, yeah. Right. And it's, it is. And it's, in fairness, to prog rock, it kind of fits because prog rock can be kind of like just inflated to the point where it's like totally. this doesn't make sense and you're trying to be artistic and intellectual and it just doesn't make sense. As much as we love prog rock, that's just a thing about yep. it. And so, and, and I'll even confirm that with, with a quote from Mike Portnoy because he says this, it's very involved and it's constantly shifting back and forth in time. And uh, he says it's totally nonlinear, so you never know exactly where you are. It's absolutely mandatory that you have the lyric sheet in front of you to understand who is speaking and what time frame they're speaking from. And I just thought that, you know, rather than giving the lyric sheet, I thought they could have put in a little bit more effort in that in that regard to, to give something there in the music. But that's not exactly how the writing process – it was the music first and they put the lyrics with it. So it's like – I get that they wanted to to mimic something kind of like what the the prog pioneers did, and they wanted to do a concept album. Heck, I think even John Petrucci made a quote. He said, "Scenes from a memory might have actually been a record that was a reaction to the previous one." And then we also figured out that we hadn't done a concept album yet, and we decided that it was time. It was like let's make our Operation Mind Crime, our Tommy, our The Wall. It was definitely a conscious decision to do something bold and new and different. You absolutely can see that because of their influences of the music that they listened to, that is 100% what inspired them to do something like a concept album for yeah. Scenes from a Memory. I just think that they're a better prog metal band than a concept writer, if that makes sense. Okay. You know what I mean? And I sure. will say, And I will say all of them because every single one of them are credited for the lyrics on this album. That's they all contributed lyrics. With Fatal Tragedy, and this is just a fun fact, Fatal Tragedy was the last song that John Myun had written lyrics for until a dramatic turn of events album was released. Yeah. So, like, he, he never wrote really any lyrics, but this is the last, like, all of them contributed lyrics to this. So, like, yeah. that's kind of fun from, like, the perspective of a, from the band's perspective of, like, but it oh, let's, work. like, piece it together. But it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. It's that's like, why you don't have multiple writers on a script. Yep. Like, even, even when you see that, it's usually just two. Yep. If you're having two people write a script and that's it. Yep. Right? And so, so that yeah, it's exactly, and you don't see that very often. So, again, uh, now I'm not saying that it's bad. Um, I just think <laughs> that there could be, I, I, you know, I give it like a six out of ten. I feel like there could have been some improvement. Okay, yeah. I, could, I feel like there could have been some improvement in the way that they delivered it, and 
And maybe it was just a, a technical aspect that James Labrie just he just couldn't get to that place. He is very dramatic. I don't see any reason why he couldn't couldn't do anything in that regard. Uh, maybe they did something with the harmonies to help depict it. I didn't go through and out and analyze that heavily when it comes to the different characters talking and and you know stuff right. like that. But um, you want to go into lyrics now? Yeah, I'll just give a brief overview. I'm actually just gonna like. So, the story, sorry, not the yeah. Yeah, going going into the full story, I'm actually taking this straight from uh, a YouTube comment on, uh, you know, someone kind of giving a synopsis of the whole thing. Yeah, it's a lot, so, but we'll here we we'll go. try and break it down for everybody. So we've got Act One, which starts with regression and goes to Through Her Eyes, by the way, um, and then Act yes. Two is from Home all the way till finally Free, which is six through nine scenes, six through nine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So act one, Metropolis part two scenes from a memory opens to Nicholas, a troubled man going through past life regression therapy in a hypnotic trance induced by his, his, sorry, his hypnotherapist. He begins to see a girl named Victoria page. Um, and a life that feels strangely familiar, despite the fact that he has never been here. He learns that she was murdered and that he was Victoria in a past life. He begins to believe that Victoria is haunting him to reveal the truth about her murder. Nicholas is able to recall that Victoria began distancing herself from her lover, Julian Baines, because of his drinking and gambling addictions. She sought comfort in Julian's brother, Edward Baines, and began an affair with him. Nicholas assumes that Julian murdered her out of jealousy and then killed himself, a story backed up by a newspaper article covering the events, which cites a witness's testimony. However, Nicholas begins to doubt this series of events and converses with an older man who was more familiar with the case. Uh, he realizes that he will never be able to get on with his own life until he solves her murder. So that's act one. Act two. The second act begins by describing Julian's addictions to cocaine and gambling, which drives Victoria away from him. Edward feels guilty about deceiving his brother, but decides that his love for Victoria is greater than his guilt. And he seduces her when she is vulnerable following her breakup. By the way, home has really intense sexual noises in the background. Oh, those are the sus noises that I was talking about. Oh, the very sus noises. That's what that is. Yeah, sus yeah. noises, dude. All right. It's pretty sus. After, vis after visiting Edward's old house, Nicholas believes he has solved the mystery. Julian has tried to beg Victoria for forgiveness, and when rebuffed, killed both her and Edward and positioned himself as the witness in the newspaper article. It's pretty convoluted. Yeah, uh, Nicholas comes to terms with what he, I'm sorry, with what has happened and bids farewell to Victoria. The hypnotherapist ends the session at this point, despite pleas from Victoria's memories. The narrative then cuts to Edward's perspective, revealing that he wished his romance with Victoria was more than a simple affair. As Victoria begins to reconcile with Julian again, Edward confronts the two of them, murders them, then stages the scene, and then assumes the role of the witness for the newspaper column. All right, so Edward's the murderer, not Julian, mm -hmm. in this account. Okay, the flashback induces Edward telling Victoria to open her eyes before killing her, echoing the same choice of words the hypnotherapist used to wake Nicholas from his hypnotic trance. In the present, where are we now? In the uh -huh. present, yep. what? Nicholas arrives home, followed by the hypnotherapist. Really creepy. Nicholas is startled by another request to open his eyes before the album cuts to phonographic static. The band confirmed on scenes from New York Live DVD that the, hypno the hypnotherapist is Edward's reincarnation and has killed Nicholas, 
who is supposed to be the reincarnation of Victoria, yep. to complete the cycle yet again. All right, end quote. End yeah. summary. Yeah. Dustin, so, what are your thoughts? Well, <laughs> shoot. Yeah, I just, it's a, it's a lot of, of stuff going on. And, and I mean, a lot of it is pretty clear cut in terms of if you go through and read all the lyrics, you can kind of see it's like, okay, this person's saying this. But, but and overall, in terms of like... It's easier to understand than John Anderson's lyrics. It certainly is. It certainly is. <laughs> Um, credit where credit is due, you know. Sometimes, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you have these characters, Nicholas, Victoria, Julian, Edward, and the hypnotherapist. And and so Nicholas is our our main protagonist, right? And Nicholas is going back in past past regression therapy, who turns out that he was a woman living in 1928, Overture 1928. That's the Overture 28, yeah. Yeah, And who was murdered. Um, yes. And so, for some reason, um, this older man that he meets is is encouraging him to, uh, you know, or not encouraging, but I guess he, he just he ha- he needs to find out the, the murder of uh, himself, right? Or Victoria, Victoria, who he um, was, yeah, who he, who he was. So this this Julian Edward thing, um, that's probably the most, in my opinion, the most convoluted part of the story. Because I just don't feel like yeah. that is the part that's fleshed out the most. I get the Nicholas and Victoria thing. Um, no, I, I I think that that whole dynamic is interesting. I you know the 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 brothers you know trying to win the affection of this woman type of deal. It's it's yep. it's interesting. the The thing is that it's just kind of confusing. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's the point is it's supposed to be with this whole reincarnation thing. Nothing is very clear cut linear and who's who and who did what. Cause at first you're like, Oh, Julian was upset that she, she was cheating on him with the brother. So he, he kills them and then, you know, kills her and then kills himself and frames it as, you know, I- anyways, that, and, and then, and then you have like, you find out later that apparently it was Edward because Victoria actually tried to reconcile and repair her relationship with Julian, which was suffering. And Edward was really jealous because he enjoyed her company, you know, while she was cheating on Julian with him. And like that, that, that was just kind of like, okay, so what happened? And I guess that's the, I guess that's the point is they want to leave it kind of open ended and they want there to be this mystery of like, Oh, what you thought was true. Wasn't, but it just, it, it gets a little, yeah, convoluted. It gets a little convoluted. That's, the, that's yeah. the best word. It just gets a little convoluted to the point where it kind of takes you out of it a little like, bit. Like, at least I know that Nicholas is uh, in therapy, and he's trying to figure out what happened in his past life. So, like, a mystery, I'm on board with the mystery. But now we have relational issues that are happening, and when you introduce- Okay, so, like, you know would it have helped? I'm just, okay, I'm just throwing this out there. You're offering a- yeah. Would it have helped if they kind of had a song dedicated to who Edward was? Yes. Rather than it's this dude who suddenly became, fell in love with this woman that he was having an affair with. Yep. 100%. Like, I need to know just a little bit. It doesn't even have to be a 10 minute track. It doesn't have to be crazy long. Just give me like four minutes yep. to flesh out who Edward is and why I yep. should care about how he feels about this situation. I mean, take it and, and portray it on screen. The side characters. Yeah. 
and the and the and the the supporting characters also have backstories, and they also okay, show the. But in fairness, in fairness, in an the hour, concept album is a very different medium and has very different constraints than cinema. Yeah, I'm just but, saying. But I'm thinking, like, I mean, in a in a 45 minute drama TV show, right? Take wow. take your pick, right? Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Mad Men. Whatever, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, we're we're exploring different characters. I just don't feel like we're exploring enough of these two characters to understand. Like, I understand Julian's problems, but I have no sympathy for his problems or why he has those problems because I don't know. All I know is that he's addicted to gambling and drugs. And then Edward apparently is supposed to be a senator. And okay, why? I didn't get that? Yeah, like like he's supposed to be a senator. I don't know under understand how that is. You know, connected. Also, they seem to connect that Julian Baines is the sleeper from Metropolis Part One, and Edward Baines is the miracle. They make that connection in hey. in the notes as the cast of characters in this. Sh- in you know, Does in that this make thing. Victoria Metropolis. <laughs> I don't know, dude. But like, but I understand the mystery portion. I'm on board with the mystery. If if there's something that needs to be solved, which there is, the discovery of his past life. Nicholas wants to find out who he was and and so he visits the hypnotherapist for the therapy for the therapy he wants to find some answers so the ending let's just jump to the ending let's just okay yeah let's talk about the ending let's talk about the ending of this because you know i have a lot of thoughts on the ending okay um Uh, i listened to the ending several several times way he freaked me out the ending did freak me out yeah. I think it's supposed to. I, I so did credit where credit's due. Yes. I think you're supposed to feel unsettled, and I definitely did. Yes, I I, I certainly did feel a, a a level of like, well, what? Like, and I, along with the the way that they were doing some of the the sound effects and the foley, honestly, I didn't think it yeah. was that bad. I did think it was kind of like in certain moments, I was like, okay, but like the the scene in. Uh, finally free where the murder takes place and the screaming happens and the music is playing. Yes. Yeah. I yeah, thought yeah. that was well done. I really did think that was pretty well done. The hypnotherapists, I mean, the very beginning of it, you know, maybe a little, it's a little cheesy, a little cheesy, maybe a little cheesy. You yeah. Know. Um, but yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, the end of the album, let me just, let me just skip down to my notes here. Oh, Drew. Do you, yeah, now here, while you're looking, I I was kind of uh, unhappy with how it ended because I'm like, so what's the point? What? Like, what's the well, so like? What's the moral? What's the? So yeah, yeah, what's what's the whole deal? So he murdered her in a past life, which, by the way, if that's the case, that guy sucks. You suck. I mean, he does suck already. He's cheating on you know. Yeah. His brother is lover, even if they're not married. He's cheating on on. You know, and, and but, but you see, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. And, and good, then, good he, antagonists are written to where you, wa- you almost have either sympathy for them, or you're honestly kind of like, are they the are they the good guy? Like, like, right? Like, uh, I'm the first thing I'm thinking of is like Negan from The Walking Dead. Like, everybody hated that guy at the very beginning, but then you started learning about him, and you're like, wait a minute, is he the good guy? And the and the protagonist that we've been following, yeah, yeah, are yeah. they the bad guys? Like, who? Yeah. And so, like, you want to almost like take them to on their side. <laughs> this guy's just a jerk. Yeah, I'm like, I don't give a so, crap so about he, this dude. So if 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 like the if we're accepting the the 
the last explanation of as to who everyone is. And, and so if we're accepting the last explanation as to what exactly happened with the murder as the truth, as in Edward killed Victoria and Julian and then ran away, then, okay, so if that cycle continues in this life, that sucks. That's <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe that's their point. Maybe they're not trying to write a happy ending, but I'm like, but that's oh, just really kind of like unsatisfying because like what happens next? Is he gonna, is Nicholas gonna be reborn as another person later on? Who's, is this guy just gonna be constantly murdered the rest of his, <laughs> the rest of his lives, all of his infinite lives of people he's living through? And freaking Edward just keeps coming up and it's just, just like, I'll back. kill you. Open your eyes, boom, boom. <laughs> Does this, does this just, I feel bad for Nicholas, man. Oh, my man. God. Oh, yeah, man. He gets a bad, he gets the short end of the stick He's in every bad. life he lives from there on out. <laughs> okay. What a bummer. Um, all right, so let's take a look at this ending, because I know that there was some confusion, and I honestly want to, I, I want to I throw this out here and, and to say that uh, there was a ton of confusion when the album came out and, and for like what the heck was going on at the very end. There's a ton of confusion there. The fact that the band had to state what happened at the end. Um, well, A, I, I'm kind of like, I kind of disagree with that because I kind of like the idea of if I wrote something that is supposed to be interpreted openly in different ways, I don't want to give them the answer. I want to keep them talking about it, you know, and, and keep keep the conversation going. Oh, this this theory and this theory and this theory. Like, yeah, I, I keep like it that. ambiguous. Keep it yeah. ambiguous. Keep it open and, and allow your fan base to sort of dive in and have conversations for 10 right. years on Reddit. The about, fan theories are fun. Like yeah. The, yeah. Fan theories are fun. Keep them coming. The fact that they did do that, um, one kind of gave a closure to it, which I didn't agree with. I didn't agree with that the, the choice of, of doing that. And plus the fact that they said it as well also may lend itself to saying that's like, oh yeah, you're they're confused. We just need to give them the answer kind of kind of thing. It's like we know and they don't. I just decided not to adhere to that. So I wrote my entire theory of, of the ending of scenes from a memory. I love this. But there's a lot of detail that that that's and here's the deal. Oh, I man. Dang it. I wish I had more time because, and, and honestly, it's probably not going to work. It probably doesn't work for the most part. And I'm not saying that this is, but I just want to throw this out there just if anybody wants to chew on it like a cow, just swallow the cud, bring it back up, chew it again, swallow it back down, bring it back up, chew it again. You get my drift. The cud being Destin's truth yeah, yeah. of this <laughs> ending. <laughs> anyway. I um, I wrote the truth. I wrote. I, I, I wrote it. I, I whatever. I'm gonna try and play some of the. I, I have some tracks here that I want to try and play so we can listen to it at the same time while I I talk about it because it'll make more sense as it's going on in the background for you. Um. So here we go. Here we go. This is this is kind of like. Let's just go through the ending real quick. Everything that's going on. So at the very end of the album, Nicholas, like Drew said before, arrives in his body after a long journey through the memories of his past life. So he he walks back home, turns off the TV, puts on a vinyl, sits down to relax, and then he freaks out when the hypnotherapist asks him to open his eyes again. I'm just recapping this for everybody. The album then cuts to static, which can be quite confusing. So this this portion of this, I want to take a look at this scene because I, I listened to this a hundred <laughs> times trying to figure out what's going on here. I love this. Okay, so let me, let me play it. I'm going to play it. I have the ending just just soloed out here. So, are you going to do all 30 seconds of static? No. By the way, this this is epic. 
Yeah, this is a great ending. This is a great this ending. Is a great. Portnoy's going nuts. Okay. Yes. Okay, so finally free is starting to pan left. We begin to go to a car stereo, as, yep. as you guys can hear that. So assuming that we're hearing the perspective of whoever is driving the vehicle, right? Maybe their windows are rolled down so you can hear the tires, right? The person parks, they shut off the car, and they walk right. towards the house. Yes. Listen to the footsteps. Hard heel. Hear a hard heel like a dress shoe, right? Yes. Okay, up the stairs. Opens the door. Right? Walks in. Shuts it. Okay? The TV, which was left on, is actually playing a news report of John F. Kennedy Jr.'s plane crash on July 16th, 1999. So this is actually a very recent story at the time of the release of this record, um, which... The Kennedy curse is kind of what they're talking about here. If you're in America, you probably know what I'm talking about. If not, uh, the Kennedy family is this political family um, that's very famous. Famous. I'm glad they did something real and not made up. That could have been really cheesy. Anyway, our character shuts off the TV after watching it for a bit. Directly after. It seems from the person in the house's perspective, we finally hear, we hear finally free again being played sometime outside of the home. Maybe another vehicle. It kind of fades in and out. Is it driving away to the house? It doesn't hard cut like a car stereo would if you turn the car off and you don't hear any tires or an engine, right? So he gets himself a drink, right? He walks over. He walks over the record player, turns it on, rocking chair, pretty quick footsteps to a familiar voice. Open your eyes. He freaks out. Ah! Record gets scratched in the static loop. Okay, now, I don't know if you heard this, but the, re- the footsteps of the person walking over to, the person who is walking is the hard heel footsteps. If you hear inside the house, they actually sound more like a boot, almost like walking in mud. They're different. They're different. There's different footsteps. Okay. Right? So, so the question is this, and I was asking myself that, I could play it again one more time if we want to go back through it. Which perspective did we hear? Was this Nicholas driving up to the house? And somehow the hypnotherapist got into the home and as what the band says, that he murdered him with Nicholas possibly kicking the stereo from the rocking chair and knocking it out of place or something, like knocking the needle out of place. Right, but it's also, it's also important maybe to note as well is that when the stereo turned on, we didn't hear any footsteps from the stereo to the rocking chair. So is, is the rocking chair just right next to the stereo, possibly? Did he not have to take any steps whatsoever to get to the rocking chair? Did they not think about that detail? Was that not included? Was, was the music masking the footsteps so it may have masked the entry of the hypnotherapist? How did he get in if he was already there or if he entered? Because the thing is that's really interesting to me is that it's finally free playing again after the person's pouring themselves a drink. Did you hear that? Oh, and now that I'm here, it's no, kind of the, that melody? Or no, no, it? no, it's a down, 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 It's the same riff. It's the same riff at the end of Finally Free that we hear at the beginning car stereo. Oh. When that pans to the left. It the plays, horn section? No, 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 no. The, the actual song itself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's in the house. Right, hold on. I'm going to play it again. I'm going to play it again. You got to hear this. All right hands again listen to the footsteps of the person walking and such as well as like him so obviously driving in
clearly driving on some sort of gravel, maybe, maybe some mud. Outside, opens the car door, listen to the footsteps. Kind of hard, that hard heel. When he gets inside of the house, listen to how the footsteps change. Hear that? Yeah, but it's uh, it's uh, it's got to be it's the, different, the carpeting, it's a different carpeting. surface, it's a different surface. It's a different surface, like that, right? It's a different surface. But what got me thinking about this? Which, by the way, I, I was interesting story that they chose to use here. The very recent story uh, that happened, which was just a couple months earlier. Guys, walking. Listen, when he pours himself a drink, listen. Did you hear that? You didn't hear that at all? Ba- barely. It's barely. some of it's just It was the... finally free. It it played it played in the background. Now listen again to listen to the person's footsteps as walking up. Why doesn't his footsteps sound any different from outside if he's inside the house? Listen. Open your eyes, Nicholas. Ah! Yeah, I get what you're saying. What's I get what you're saying. That? In the sense that, in the sense that, if they're both wearing a similar type of shoe, which if they both kind of have a similar hard surface kind of sound, okay. All this to say, uh-huh. do you have a theory or okay. is it just questions? Well, I, I have other questions as well. Um, well, different perspectives, right? But so all of that to say, I was like, it, it did it. Was that a different vehicle that was pulling up? outside from the perspective of when he was pouring the drink. Don't know. Don't know that answer. Also, it doesn't sound like somebody was pulling in and parking because it fades. It doesn't cut. So it almost sounds like somebody either driving away, but it's still finally free. If you go back and pay attention to it really closely, it's really faint in the background like somebody is outside the home, like somebody else parking, whatever it may be. So another thought that I had was initially, you know, is we initially hear the the hypnotherapist's perspective walking into the house and while the hypnotherapist is pouring himself a drink, like he hides because the footsteps change from the dress type of shoe to sort of a, a hard heel outside uh, to more of a boot when inside. So, but the footsteps that we hear as the music is playing and someone in the rocking chair is that is that hard heel again. So did we, so on it, kind of like a theory is, do we change perspectives? Because they do this throughout the entire record. We, they're changed, they're flipping all over the place. So the perspective, do we change perspectives? As soon as he opens the door, do we? when he shuts the door, do we flip to a different person in that moment? Was that an overthought? Was that something that wasn't like, because we don't hear another door open. We don't know how somebody else is in the house. We don't know how to get there. We just know that there's a faint thing in the background. We hear two different types of footsteps and the guy gets freaked out and he clearly doesn't notice that somebody else is in the home with him. And according and to the left- band- he murdered him. And he shut the door, so he would have heard the door open unless the music masked the door open. Did he? Did he? Did he close the door? Yes. He opens the door. He does opens he close it. it. He does. Do he does close it. Oh, I'm trust now me. Misremembering. Okay. Trust me. So he I closed the door. Yeah, and we don't hear a door open again. No, we don't. So it so, opens and closes. Yes. And then, uh, so yeah, yeah. So the thing is, I'm like, it opens what? and closes, and then you hear the footsteps of the second set of footsteps, right? The, the yeah, other well, person. Yeah. So you hear. So you open. So the door opens. 
closes. He walks closes. straight to the TV. Even he with walks the TV he, on. Yes, yes, yes. Even with the so TV the, the on, you can hear the closed. footsteps. The so door we is should closed. hear another yes. door opening unless someone is already in the house. Exactly. So the theory is, is that possibly the hypnotherapist uh, pulled like up to the house. Either he was already in the, in the home or he pulled up to the house, walked yeah. up to the house, opened the door somehow while the music was playing. And the reason why this is, could be a possible theory is because, is because when the music started playing, you don't hear footsteps of someone going to a, a chair. So like, was the music masking the opening of the door? But Nicola, whoever's there would have heard that. I just don't understand how he got into the home. So that got me questioning the whole fact of like, is there two people in the house? Is there two people? Is that even possible that, that two people got into the house or someone was even there? So here's my theory. Here's my ending theory for Metropolis. You ready for this? Sure, right. spam. So the theory that I that I wrote, because because of the amount of questions that I had, and maybe I'm overanalyzing the end of just the details that were included, but they did include, Oh, you absolutely are. They but did I love include this. they did include <laughs> details. The problem that I'm having is that they included a lot of details in certain details, places, but no details in other places. Yes, so yes, yes. either you can make it vague or do all of the details. You yeah. know what I mean? But don't do both. I, I, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. No, I get this. I get this. And all I right, also right. thought about going into Foley right before I before in high school. I thought about doing oh, yeah. Foley and, and for stuff like film and all of that. And so like this probably like, I don't know. Yeah. Got me yeah, yeah. Here's my theory. Nicholas suffers from a psychotic disorder. This is this part of the theory. The hypnotherapist is, in fact, his true therapist. And the past regression therapy scenes are hallucinations. So Edward and Julian are figments of his imagination, and he's drawn to this woman named Victoria, but he's threatened by these other two men. So at the beginning of the album, okay, just go with me on this. Again, I, I was up last night, and I only had one day to put this together because this is when I realized, like, oh, well, maybe this could... So I, this is not fleshed out whatsoever. Oh, this seems like a late night stream of consciousness. No, Keep going. 100%, 100%. Uh, shoot. 100%. So <laughs> at the beginning of the album, we hear the therapist getting Nicholas to relax. He's been suffering from hallucinations, which is why we hear faint voices as the therapist is counting down to try and make him relax and bring him back to reality. Because you see, Nicholas has been having bad delusions and he's persistently worried and constantly on edge. And the therapist's calming voice and his talk therapy isn't enough to convince Nicholas of coming back to reality. He's afraid of reality. He doesn't want to come back, so he drifts into another hallucination, leading to the first line of regression, safe in the light that surrounds me, free of the fear and the pain which then we are taken on this dark journey through Nicholas's hallucinations and scenes of his false memories. Okay. So something like scene seven, part two, which is one last time, Nicholas is getting more and more haunted by these hallucinations, which all seem to revolve around this person named Victoria. The first line is Nicholas speaking, saying in the lyrics, it doesn't make any sense this tragic ending. In spite of the evidence, there's still something missing. Nicholas is questioning and confused by his relationship to Victoria. Does she does she love him? Should he leave? What's this? He doesn't know what this relationship is. He's drawn to her, but these other people are also drawn to her, and so he gets kind of possessive with it. So he's trying to, she's trying to convince Nicholas to stay in this false reality. And here is the reason why. And this is part of this is the the second point of the theory. Victoria is the personification of fear of reality and is trying to convince Nicholas to stay in the hallucinations. Victoria is the antagonist. Victoria is a figment of Nicholas's imagination 
that is the personification of the fear of reality. And she is consistently and constantly trying to get him to stay in his hallucinations rather than him leaving. So, and she's consistently winning. He's still afraid. He doesn't want to go back to reality. So it's something like scene eight, the spirit carries on, is actually Victoria speaking to Nicholas. In her attempt to persuade Nicholas, if she goes away, it won't matter because she lives in him. She's basically just manipulating him. She's trying to get him to stay. She's trying to say that you're stuck. The lyrics are this. If I die tomorrow, it'll be all right, or I'd be all right, because I believe that after we're gone, the spirit carries on, right? Because Nicholas is contemplating leaving Victoria, but Victoria is like, no, 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 it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because if I die, if I go away, doesn't matter. The spirit still carries on. You're still going to be afraid of reality. You're still going to be afraid of going back to back to reality. You don't want to go there. So then the next verse is Nicholas speaking. I used to be frightened of dying. I used to think death was the end, but that was before. I'm not scared anymore. And I know that my soul will transcend. I may never find all the answers transcend being coming back to reality. I may never find all the answers. I may have never understand why. I may never prove I know to be true, but I still have to try. Nicholas is like, you know what? I don't really care. Not really afraid of this anymore. I may never understand why, but I still have to try and overcome this fear of true reality and come back to the present. So Nicholas is aware of these hallucinations. He's aware that this isn't true, but he's choosing Victoria over reality. And he's persistently being persuaded and manipulated to stay because of Victoria's motive to keep him with her. Okay, but like, Okay, so so all the stuff in between, the stuff with the murder and I, I haven't fleshed that the, out yet. That's what I'm saying. I haven't had enough time oh, to actually go okay. back. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I like, like, so where does this? I know. I, I, Destin, like, are we going to write this? I don't are know. I could try it. Um, the thing is with the murders, though, I honestly just think that like the figments of his imagination is because because Julian and Edward are figments of his imagination, and they're both drawn towards Victoria, right? So I think what the thing is is that he's drawn to Victoria because it's safe for him but she's also just flat out toxic like she's yeah, the, yeah, she, yeah. so so he's drawn to her in this almost romantic yeah. way and yeah. so he creates almost like these figments of his imagination that of of these two guys who are almost like fighting over over her because of the possessive nature in his They're mind. like addicted to her and he's kind of addicted and to he's addicted a false to reality false reality. He's scared of of actual reality. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that okay. that was kind of like maybe that's that was where my mind was like going in in okay. you know, and larger then one context. Of them, maybe as he starts to progress is like wants to murder her as in Nicholas is trying to like he finally finds finally some, find reason, some to, reason to do it. To to come back to reality and, yes. and embrace that yep. rather than the fear of it. Okay. Yep. So uh, again, back in something like scene eight, uh, looking at the lyrics, right? It's uh, in the in the bridge. It's almost as if Nicholas is possibly telling Victoria to move on and be brave, right? Find somebody else that you can be with because this relationship isn't going to work, which launches us into this like incredible guitar solo of, of the spirit carries on. But yeah, yeah. it's a uh, it's almost as if like his the very end, he's starting to contemplate sort of like we're being taken through all of these memories of learning about who Victoria is and learning about the manipulation and the gaslighting and all of these things about Nicholas's mind and who he's creating these figments of his imagination to be. But the last part of the song, as he's contemplating all this, goes into the guitar solo. So I almost see that as sort of like this free spirit thinking kind of thing happening. Sure. No, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. The last part of the song, though, comes back to Victoria stating once again, after she's gone, it won't matter. 
One final battle of gaslighting and manipulation. You can hear her in the very end of the song. There's like a little bit of like that female singing. That's Victoria lamenting and singing to Nicholas as the track closes. Almost like trying to emotionally manipulate him now. Right? Okay. That's how I'm interpreting this. (laughs) This is ridiculous. So... That's really creepy because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be happy and like kind of a cathartic kind of moment. And like the singing woman is not any anything celebratory not at, at all. It's actually this haunting. I hear it as sadness. I almost hear it as like this grief and loss of like, don't leave me kind of thing. Just kind oh, of, okay. That's all how right. I'm hearing. Yeah. That's how I hear it. This desperation, mm-hmm. this clinging mm-hmm. to. She's okay, trying to manipulate. Yeah. Her constant motivation is to manipulate Nicholas to stay with that's her. That's really dark, Dustin. I know. Sorry, keep going. I know. Victoria I know. I, 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 okay. wants Nicholas. She 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 wants him yes, to yes, be yes. in a relationship, right? So I, I get it. Okay. At the beginning of finally, <laughs> at the I, beginning of finally free. <laughs> We hear the therapist say to Nicholas, this is the very beginning of the song. You probably remember this. You are once again surrounded by a brilliant white light. Uh Allow the light to lead you away from your past and into this lifetime. As the light Uh dissipates, you will slowly fade back into consciousness, reality, remembering all you have learned. When I tell you to open your eyes, you will return to the present, reality, feeling peaceful and refreshed. Open your eyes, Nicholas. So this this is the therapist allowing Nicholas to feel the pain and the burden of his false sense in reality and encouraging him to slow down, slow down your mind, ease, ease your feelings of fear, come back to the true reality. He's encouraging Nicholas that you will feel refreshed if you uh-huh. return to the present. Uh huh. So then you hear, uh, you can hear footsteps of somebody entering a car at the very beginning uh-huh. of, of finally free. This is the sound of Nicholas metaphorically leaving, right? Leaving his made up world. So, so the very beginning of this song starts with Nicholas getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to, he's made the decision. Victoria's lamented. She's like, I, fine, like whatever. It doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. He gets in the car and he's going to leave and he's going to leave this made up world. That's, that's the, in, in his false reality. So, okay. but before he does, okay, <sighs> because of the amount of a manipulation and it's a pretty dark song and it goes in like these different areas that are like yeah. really, you know. Before he, because of the the music, it almost like depicted this like dark sort of feeling, sinister, yeah, yeah, very sinister feeling. I was thinking that that was a musical depiction of of um, Nicholas' decision to say, in order for me to leave this reality, I have to get rid of Victoria. Victoria is the problem. Victoria is the false reality. She's the one who has messed this all up. She's the one who is wrong, who is false, who is uh-huh. who's bad. So. Uh-huh. Before he leaves, right, him getting in the car is actually him driving to Victoria to get rid of her. Nicholas kills Victoria in that scene that we hear with the gunshots. Where'd he got the gun? No idea. Whatever. He strongly feels his need, though, to get rid of Victoria because his belief, Nicholas's belief, is that if he kills her, he can escape the dark world. So I imagine him driving and okay. killing in her. You know, then we hear the if he kills the fear of reality. He can embrace he true can embrace reality, the true reality more comfortably. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So then, okay. uh, you have the epic instrumental section that's going on there, uh-huh. and then the song transitions to the car stereo. Right. So he's uh-huh. killed Victoria. We're, we're finally like, hey, Nicholas gets right. out of the car. He goes sure. home. Okay. We know that he's made it back to reality because of okay. the news story in okay. 1999. That's on okay. the TV. Yes, it's true. Okay. But then we hear his therapist say, open your eyes. Sure. What does this mean? Sure. Here's my interpretation of the ending. We All learn right. right here that Nicholas actually didn't leave his false reality. He's still there. 
Nicholas was convinced that the murder of Victoria would bring him back to reality, but Victoria wasn't real. It turns out Nicholas is trapped. Nicholas needs help. Nicholas suffers from psychosis. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. Right? So here's where it gets good. The end of the album is a static loop that hard, that hard cuts. It doesn't okay. fade. It doesn't give a sense of completion or any, any type of way that it goes away. It hard cuts. In 2002, Dream Theater released their next album, Six Degrees, Six of, degrees Interturbulence. of Interturbulence. The yes. first song is it the radio static the, yes, once again. It opens with the static. Yep. The name of the song is The Glass Prison, except – so I'm thinking that the concept actually enters into this album. Nicholas isn't trapped in a bottle – like the like a glass the glass prison is kind of like alcoholism i'm i'm you know i'm okay. into, the right, glass yeah. prison is alcohol it's it's the bottle okay. it's the sure, bottle sure and it's you're you're stuck in the bottle that's the that's the glass prison is the alcohol okay. so i was taking that as sort of like a metaphorical way of sort of stretching to say that nicholas isn't trapped in a bottle he's trapped in his mind okay is he, okay does this pertain to alcoholism or not no, I don't think that this this pertains to alcoholism. But here's the, here's the deal. According to Dream Theater's website, what Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence is about, they say this. They state that the album explores different themes of lifetime struggle, such as alcoholism, loss of faith, loss loss of faith. Excuse me, self isolation, sanctity of life and death. The album explores the stories of six individuals suffering from various mental illnesses and my theory is that nicholas is one of them okay you need to create a fan fiction on all and really flesh this out i want to i want to yeah i i would love to read destin frost's this is what i got uh, so fan fiction of dream theaters music starting from metropolis part two all the way to their current record to the current record nicholas is always there so so i here's what i did i went into the very last part of Finally Free. I took the that song, I took the last couple of seconds of the static and I put it neck, like right on top to where, where as if it was complete, like there was no gap in, in, okay. in the playing of the album. I put it right next to Glass Prison to see okay. how it would flow. Sure. Okay. So think about this for just a second. He's freaking out. Nicholas freaks out because he thought he's back to reality, but he's actually not there. He's still trapped in his mind. He's still there, and and the therapist is still trying to get him to come back. So okay. I think that that's the realization that we all have to know that oh, this dude has a problem. This dude has a this dude actually has a I mental. I think it was illness. abundantly clear that he it had was a problem clear. throughout the rest of the record. But, but okay, not, but sure. Not this right. problem. The, the the problem that he was having was that he was having these past dreams, and he, he he was trying to figure out who he was. That was the conflict. Was he having dreams within a dream? This is Inception going on. This here. is Inception. He's having these dreams. Yeah, this is what I, this is the Inception. And then you think he has this cathartic experience where he gets rid of all of his fears or whatever, and that in itself is the like first level of the dream. Yep. Whereas before it was the second level going deeper, right? With all these dreams that he's having within this. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so, and then then he is finally awoken to actual reality when he freaks out. This I don't. Like, oh man. I don't think so. I think he freaks out because Nicholas is perspective is that i got rid of victoria but he's still in a dream but he's still in it 
Okay, so, so we're still on level one of the dream. I think I think we're still there. I, I, the, in terms of me entering and like or thinking Dude. about what this is, yeah. But listen to this. Listen to this. This Our is Metropolis. Fans, why are they still here? Why are you listening? I don't what know. Is- listen, this is just not fleshed out, but it's fun to think about. This is Metropolis going straight into glass prison. Okay, here, check this out. So this is like, I honestly see this as kind of like the, like, hey, wake up. Kind of, kind of wake, wake up, sort of the old. Sure. But the mood of this is like, we're still, we're still there. I don't know, it just, I don't know, the way I, Imagine it and think about it, and then it gets really hard. Is he waking up? Has he woken up? Haven't haven't fleshed that out yet. I only, I only did it, it last yet. night. Like <laughs> Destin's three a.m. stream of consciousness. I'm I love telling it. you. So, okay. Anyway, okay, that's that's kind of that's my theory. Is that the all of all of Metropolis Part Two is basically fleshing out these false memories that Nicholas has, and you think that the story is about him solving a mystery, but the conflict, or maybe not the conflict, but the, or, yeah, the conflict is that the mystery is him, like it's his, it's his own, it's his own mind. Like he he's struggling with his <laughs> mental illnesses. Okay, and so. Six degrees of inner turbulence is is the uh, and again I didn't listen to all of that record because this was literally last night when I was when I found the album and listened to it. This reminds me of the kind of thing that like <laughs> yeah like film students do in like a late night college campus. They've gotten way too much coffee. It's like yeah like three a.m. I, I don't drink coffee. They're munching on some. Fr- I do. They're munching on fries or whatever it is. Actually, no, it's not fries. No, no. Actually, it is fries. They're just Chex super mix. old. It's Chex Mix. No, it's not Chex Mix. No, it's college Chex students. Mix. It's it's uh, it's either ramen. It might be Uncrustables. Absolutely. Anyways, and they're just trying to flesh out this idea for a script, and they they like <laughs> like the third eye has opened. They're like, oh my, this is it. This is it. I I love this, Dustin. Anyway, I love that you that. You really spent a lot of time and energy. Well, counterpoint, it's stupid. Stupid. <laughs> anyway, I know I took a lot of time going through that. Oh, this was terrific. But I mean, I, I feel really I'd, bad for our listeners. But <laughs> I thought I'd throw it out there. I mean, it's not. This is. It's not that spectacular, great, though. No, it's 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 cool. It's cool. The whole fan theories are are really interesting you make a good point you make a good point about there are some sound effects here and then there are other sound effects that are absent if you're talking about like how it quote-unquote actually ended with the therapist being edward and killing victoria again and all that kind of stuff like that like you put yeah some pretty fair amount of detail on some of it but then in others you didn't so why is that because yes if that if you're going with what you guys had said why doesn't the door open again 
Exactly. Like that should be a thing. And like, how does he get in? Was he waiting there? Unless and like, it changes perspectives. Unless it changes perspectives. And even then, there's still some questions. So it doesn't work. Also, I agree with also that. Here's, here's the other thing, too. And this is probably the, the most evidence that I have. The way that the band stated that the album ended gave it resolution, completing the cycle once again, in quotes, right? Yeah. If that's the case and the story is completed, why on earth, for the next record, do you right, do an entire album about mental illnesses and the first one that you do has the radio static that yeah. is exactly from the ending of Metropolis? That is the most evidence that I have. Well, and maybe they just felt like it was a fun thing to do. Like, hey, Possibly we'll start so. where the last one came up. But you're right, because that that is, okay, it might be fun, but it does also imply that you're continuing it does. a particular theme or story. Especially when the theme could be, could be centered around a mental illness, which is why like, I got this whole thing in the first place. Because I, I went and looked at the very first song, and I was like, is that the very beginning radio station? Yes, it yes, is. Yes, it is. I put it back. Point. I put it back to back. Well, and then and I, I looked at the album title of records. Didn't they also at Possibly. the end of Six Degree of Inner Turbulence? Not sure. End it the way that the next record starts, which I'm uh, sorry, which is Train of Thought. Train of Thought. I think they do. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's possible. Uh, it's possible that that's a gimmick, not a gimmick, but that's a, kind of a thing that they do. Yeah, that's just something. The they did. music never ends. You know, which yeah. which does fit yeah. Dream Theater because their music yeah. never ends. They're just Shoot. consistently putting out music. It's all prog the time. rock. Prog rock never ends. It never ends. It never ends that way, too. So, anyway, that's that's wow. my. Uh, that was very involved, Dustin. You didn't expect that much coming from me, did you? I didn't. Well, I no, not the sheer volume and the sheer analysis. Like, there was that was a lot. It, I, it was, I applaud you. It was a good. <laughs> it was a good amount. For, Let's talk about dead again. Oh wow, we're we're really going into it. Yeah. Huh? Well, we, right, yeah. we, need, so to, we this, need to briefly mention this because after us talking about this entire concept and everything. The band did state that the inspiration of the concept came from a 1991 film called Dead Again that you have seen a well, while you're, ago. Now we're, this is going to turn into like a film analysis ah, Just brief. Or, it, it can be brief. Okay. It can be brief. Yeah, I know we're a little over yeah, on time, but we, everyone yeah, yeah, was yeah. recommending and asking us to do this record, so yeah, I don't so care. Here's the – okay. So, yeah, in 1991, the film Dead Again. I didn't think I have. Like Destin had asked me. Again, we don't – get to talk that often but he just texted me he was like by the way i think it was like inspired by by this movie have you seen it and just off the top of my head i was like nah i don't think so like i, I forgot what that movie was and then right before we started recording i looked up the trailer and i was like oh it's this okay yeah 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 so this is a 1991 film with kenneth Branagh and emma thompson as the two main leads and i remember watching this with my sisters and my mom <laughs> and i remember his like we had a really fun time watching this because it was terrible. <laughs> it was I, everyone's got, uh, entitled to their own opinion, and I don't know what it's rated on IMDb or if it's a beloved classic or whatever. I, I, I really don't know. And this is this is coming from someone who adores the work of both Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. They're Shakespearean actors. They're amazing, and all like everything else I've seen them in, I love them. They're tremendous actors. But this is so melodramatic and so heavy-handed oh, and convoluted and just watch the trailer. And fairness, if you watch any 90s trailer for almost any film, you're going to have a chuckle because just 90s trailers, just the way they were made compared mm -hmm. to how trailers are made now, 
is really funny. Um, but even so, I remember watching this movie and just thinking, yeah, this is incredibly melodramatic. And it is about like Emma Thompson having this therapy session where she's like going into a past life and like the lover that she's with now was a different person in the past, but it's the same actor. It's Kenneth Branagh in black and white and this, you know, weird memory therapy thing she's going through as well as this current in color, you know, um, she, it's like her, I don't know if it's her husband or her boyfriend, but it's her lover in some capacity, her partner in some capacity. And uh, husband. Husband. Okay, it is a husband. All right. And she's having these weird thoughts of like, he's doing something wrong. There's infidelity because she sees him in the past life with other other people, other, other women, or something like that. And like, he's trying to tell her, no, it's it's all in your head, but then it like starts to manifest in real life. Anyways, it's really melodramatic, really convoluted. And I was like, this is just not well done. It, like the writing just really wasn't there. So anyways, I don't want to get into a whole thing, but I, I remember it, I was, it was just, it really freaked me out when I was like, Oh, 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 it's this movie. I totally forgot what the title of that movie even was. And, <laughs> Oh my word! Oh my word! So I think it's safe to say, though, that it was the 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 foundation, the foundation, and and the oh, the callbacks, bam. yeah, that they take is eerily similar to this film. Eerily, yeah, it was similar. heavily inspired by it. Heavily ins- inspired by it. Yeah. So when you got five guys, or however many, four or five guys, all contributing lyrics to a concept that you already have music for on top of five different perspectives of a film that you probably all watched to write a concept for this record. Yeah. I just see so many different areas and and ways that this could go horribly wrong. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But and all that to say, I don't think this is a terrible concept nope. record. It's really not. It's really not, especially considering most prog rock concept records are pretty nebulous, and honestly, a lot of it's gibberish. Now, I still love that. I love prog rock. I'm all about it. But they aren't always clear-cut. You love prog rock? Kind of be gibberish. No. No, 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 no. Really? I didn't. No, no, no. Okay. No. Just making sure take you didn't say that. Yeah. I take it back. All right. I take it back. All right. Um, anyways, uh... So it's already kind of nebulous, but yeah, when you add five people contributing lyrics, mm-hmm. it's bound to get just super messy because you have five different perspectives going in, and it's just yep. That's when and yeah. when it's heavily based on a on a movie, you're t- yeah. You know, it, it just it, there's so many different areas and yeah. so many different ways that this could go. Uh, yeah, but dramatically, but, wrong. yeah, just it's, yeah, yeah. But but, but, all, but in all, again, all in all, it's it's uh, especially music musically. I think this is a great album. Yes, story wise, it's interesting enough to capture my attention. So you know what? There's that, and I know that that might seem like low hanging fruit to pick from, uh, or a very uh, I don't know, a small accolade. But you know, a lot of prog rock. There is just it's so nebulous and so out there that I can't latch onto anything with this. There are characters. There are sound effects. There's, you know, to kind of put you in the story. I mean, even if it's kind of a disappointing story, it's it's interesting. And it, I can at least 
engage with this story. I know, Destin, you said you couldn't because you didn't care about Edward or these guys. I understand yeah. that criticism. But there's still stuff going on that I can understand. There's a mystery to be solved. Yeah. Yeah. There's a therapist. They did a lot of theatrics, by the way. Very prog rock of them. In a live performance of this, they actually hired someone on stage to play the therapist. I think that was Scenes in I, New York. Yes. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Also, that live DVD or whatever, they also have like interspersed video clips yes. and little dramatizations of the stuff that's happening in the lyrics that they filmed either before or after the actual live performance. And then they put that on the DVD while the live music is playing. So like the scene with like Edward killing her, like they shot that in black and white. And then they like played that on the live DVD while the live music is going on. And then they would cut back to the live music. Anyways, I thought that was interesting. By the way, I don't know if you saw this, Destin, that was directed by Mike Portnoy. Really? Portnoy was the director. It said at the very end of the live DVD, directed by Mike Portnoy. That guy, yes. man. It's... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Anyways, isn't it? I thought that was interesting. That does also have like a lot of like Stephen Wilson vibes. I can I, yes. like he does a lot the whole of storytelling. Oh thing. yeah, the whole st- and yeah, and yeah. having the visuals go along with the music on stage sure, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So I dig no, that totally. I dig that, and also it's very I, prog rock. Yeah, oh yeah, and another thing I should also mention too, in terms of Mike Portnoy, as as you mentioned that for the directing piece, is that um, he was doing like vlogs of the album recording yeah. before vlogs big. were a thing. Like before yeah, YouTube he was kind of was ahead of his around. time yeah. as far as the whole sharing of information, yeah. for better or worse. And I think that's interesting. Yeah, uh, so like props to him for that and, and props to him for directing the uh, the, DVD. Uh, the DVD and doing that thing. So, Whatever, the uh, performance, yeah. Yeah, and, and having the, the... How do you do that? Yeah, and having the... Um, the you know the, the people on stage, the hypnotherapist on stage with them while they're yeah. performing. All that's that. cool. That's cool stuff. That, that's a cool that's idea, cool and yeah. it's theatrics. It reminds me of Peter Gabriel when he would dress up right for yep. his characters, and and the wall when they really kind of went all out with constructing a wall on stage. Like it wasn't to that degree, but it was still this sense of again the theater, right? Yep. And just kind of immersing you in a story. Like I'm all about that. So, like I said, also all this to say. I did enjoy this album, especially compared to Images and Words, but also just isolated on its own. I do think this is a really solid record. Yeah. It's a very good prog rock record. I do understand why people call it their masterpiece. Yep, I do too. So, Let me ask you a question. Do you think that the members of Dream Theater were theater geeks? My thought is, I don't think so. I, no. I don't think that they are. It's interesting that the name of their band is Dream Theater. And I know that they wanted to do something very theatric with this, but this doesn't come off as something that would come from somebody who is a big theater fan. I hear the gimmicks, but I yeah. don't hear the structure. I don't they, hear the I don't think they were ever steeped in it growing up. No. But they did, they did, they must have had some sort of affinity for it, obviously, because of their inspiration of like Rush and yes, Team Crimson, like these early groups that were yes. kind of you know, uh, charismatic and all that. And they, and crud, their first name for their band was majesty, right? Exactly. Which in and of itself is very grandiose. Just that word, right? Yep. Like, yep. So yeah, they, they definitely had an affinity, but no, 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 these guys didn't, these guys didn't sing in a, in a chorus, in an ensemble. No, no, or, no. or, or in they the didn't music put man. makeup on, right? No, they haven't music man. No, yeah, they haven't they seen, didn't. they haven't seen music man. Maybe they have, I don't no. know. You know, or into no, the woods. They weren't they taught at age, you know, eight or nine to say thank you five when you're about to go on and you know dress rehearsal yep. no, no. no that wasn't it I don't so, I find, so. It, I find it I find it very interesting 
based off of what I've heard from this album, because everybody will start judging me for talking about Dream Theater. It's like, no, you got to listen to this record. And I'm like, I'm just, we're talking about this album. Isolated. I'm isolating in a, in a vacuum scenes from memory. These are fans of the theatrical elements, but really they're rock nuts. They're rock guys. These are rock metal yeah, guys. These are 100%. metal heads who are fans of that. They're not ensconced yeah. in that. So I think the execution yeah. of them doing something that is supposed to be very theatrical and bold and out there doesn't translate to a level that you would think it would be translated to if your name was Dream Theater. That's okay. that's kind of like my thought. You think it's a bit of a misnomer? I do think it's a bit of a misnomer. I think these guys were interested in a movie. They're music nerds, and so they threw kind of a bunch of stuff together that they thought was interesting that was basically a very similar ripoff. And I'm saying this knowing my own limitations because our band did a 20-minute epic, and I basically ripped off 1984 just with a happy ending. Um, but <laughs> so I'm not saying that I, I can do it super super well myself but yeah the i don't know but you know here's the deal like with their music specifically with the prog metal thing that they're doing they are more theatrical than i've seen a lot of other really dark heavy metal bands That's or true. whatever do like they introduce a lot more character to their music than a lot of other just straight metal bands or even a lot of other prog metal bands in my yeah, opinion that i was about to they, say metal bands that claim to be progressive yes yeah there's a lot of character to dream theater stuff Absolutely. And that's what you want. You want some color. You want some character when you're doing progressive rock stuff, when you're doing this stuff that colors outside the box beyond just complicated time signatures and lots of notes in there. Do they have that? Yes. But they also have the other elements here and in scenes from a memory to, you see, I avoided it. They also have (laughs) other elements in there, like the sound effects and like the I don't know. They, they dial back the metal on this record and I like that, but it's not devoid of it at the same time. Like to me, this was a nice balance. Like you've got the really hard, raucous, cool groove parts, but then you've also got just stuff that just seems like more tame, but not losing the edge that was Dream Theater. This is why I understand and agree from what I've heard. I haven't heard all of Dream Theater stuff that this is their masterpiece. Like this is a really great balance and it, it ticks a lot of boxes and does them really well. Yeah. Taking all the, the criticism away, final thought coming from Destin on Scenes from Memory is that it took me a long time, a lot longer than Drew to actually get into, into this. Uh, but I actually ended up um, really enjoying it, really enjoying uh, the music um, some of the riffs in there, I'm like, oh heck yeah, you know. Um, some of the solos are fantastic, uh, and uh, so the structures of of some of the stuff is great. Kind of watery vocal section, yeah, yeah, the watery um, vocal, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. Love, I love that. that part, love that section, and the acoustic yeah. guitar going on underneath yeah. it, yeah. Like that's a really interesting thing to put in there. And then you've also got Jordan Rudess, like in. Dance of Eternity, which is crazy, having like the Dixieland the thing. The Dixieland stuff going on there. The, yeah, the yeah, player yeah. piano kind of sound yep. while he's yep. playing. And so anyway, all that to say, um, enjoyed it musically. Uh, the concept obviously had a lot of fun with. It's Yeah, it's interesting. And you know what? You know what? That, it to me, in, in and of itself, is a success. Oh, 100%. If, if you get me invested in your concept record, then I'm invested. There's something to latch on to. There's yeah. an interesting discussion to be had. That in and of itself, I think is a success. So yeah. good job, Dream Theater. Good job. 
honestly though, and I, I will backtrack on that just for just for a half second. Um, I don't think that I would have been as into the concept if this wasn't by Dream Theater. Okay. That's really if this was their somebody reputation. their reputation allowed me right. to go deep into this. Okay. Um if it wasn't, I think it would have been like this doesn't make any sense. Like what the heck is going on with here? This is convoluted. Whatever. Okay. And and I probably would have just dropped it. Still would have loved it musically. But I think I probably would have dropped the idea of digging into the concept if this wasn't Dream Theater. I don't know if I would have. I, you might have I, stick, I don't st- know. Stuck with it. I may have stuck with it, but I to- I understand what you're saying completely. But I don't know. I I, I can't really place myself. There. This is good stuff. I, I'm glad that we did this. I'm glad it was recommended to us. And I know that we haven't done as many Dream Theater albums as people want us to do. But either way, this is fun. Um. So anyway, do you have anything else to say? Do you want to? close this thing out i know i i this was this we went way over yeah we did. i, I was okay. expecting this actually okay. to be a very don't short don't sign episode. off don't sign off because we're gonna we're gonna let you know what album that we're doing next uh, right now so thank you everybody for listening to our podcast these are our prog notes for scenes from a memory this is great had a lot of fun um if you enjoyed the episode maybe you learned something new from the episode or you're screaming at us on the other other side of the podcast uh still follow us shoot if you hated us uh, follow us um with the link tree in the description of the episode uh, there you can find our discord community where you can come and scream at us on discord um our social media pages which also allows you to scream at us if you'd like to do it there you can also join us on our patreon um which recently it's not, not a whole lot of screaming but if you'd like to monthly support us in what we're doing and uh possibly give me the opportunity for to financially free me up to do an entire fleshed out version of my my take on scenes from memory (laughs) that'd be fun um you could do that there as well we 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 would greatly appreciate it this stuff costs money and uh doing this show isn't isn't free and we're trying our best to to put out stuff that everybody really likes so your patreon support would greatly help and uh i call it uh just buy us a cup of coffee um it's like three dollars a month or something like that if you'd like to help us there um, also, don't forget to follow us on Spotlight. Uh, the Spotlight fo- podcast feed is there on the link tree. Again, linktree.com slash prognotes. Uh, we'll have another interview coming out soon as well. But before we close, I know I just get through a bunch of information at you. Before we close, though, uh, Drew, the next album that we're that we're checking out, uh, which will be the last record that we're doing of the year because we took we are taking December off. So we're going to release uh, this episode, I think, in, in November. We'll take December off and come back. Um, in January but what's the next album that we're going to be checking out What If by the Dixie Dregs it's going to be fun haven't heard it yet excited to go dive in really interesting excited to go dive in and it's an instrumental album isn't that right it is I'm ready for another instrumental album after doing all this I need an instrumental album yep completely lyricless I need an instrumental album whiplash yeah we're we're just hard 180 so join us next time for the Dixie Dregs, we'll discover the past, present, and future of Prog Rock. We'll see you guys on Discord and the Link Tree, and hopefully become a patron. Thanks, guys. Thanks.